0: You're listening to audio from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more information about Pleasant Valley, visit our website at pleasantvalley.cc. So, there's always time for a country music moment of the week. Amen? Well, even on Christmas Eve, 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 I've made time for one. And tonight it comes from one of my favorite artists. His name is Eric Church. And Eric Church sings a song that I love. I don't know why, but I feel like I connect to it in many ways. It's called Mr. Misunderstood. And he sings about this young man uh, that wants to grow up and lead a rock band. And so his whole life, he, he kind of, his, his church sings, uh, when the world went left, he goes right, and vice versa. He, he grows out his hair long, and people don't understand him, and people don't get him, and none of the dads wanted their daughters dating him. And so church says he's Mr. Misunderstood. And tonight, I want us to see Christmas from the perspective of Mrs. Misunderstood. That is Christmas from the perspective of Mary, the mother of our Lord, who I think is one of the most misunderstood people in all of Scripture, if not one of the most misunderstood people really in all of human history. Mary is often misunderstood, I think, from a, from a couple of different ex- extreme angles. One is, and in some faith traditions, uh, Mary is exalted to a place, I think, where God didn't intend for her to be. So that in some cases, uh, you're, you're encouraged to pray to Mary so that she could give you a, a higher representation as a saint before God. Or some would even see Mary as a co-redeemer, right there alongside Jesus and helping save us, um, so in some circles, Mary is, is almost idolized in a way that's not biblical. But I think at times we can be so put off by that view that we overcorrect to another unhelpful place, and we can minimize or belittle or or downplay the uh really vital and important role that Mary played in God's plan to save the world. I think at times we underestimate the significance of Mary's obedience to God. If Mary would have rebelled against God's will, things would have, from a human perspective, turned out very differently in the world. So put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment In particular, if you're a woman, I think, but guys try to do it too, to understand the importance that she played. So you're 13 years old-ish. You're a virgin. You're from a poor family in a very small town. You may have two followers on Instagram, your mom and grandma. You're kind of a nobody that nobody knows who you are. And out of the blue in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to you. And here's what the angel says. Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary, knowing she's never been with a man, but being old enough to understand how the birds and bees Work begins to question the angel. How am I going to have a child? And then the angel responds with something it's almost hard to fathom if you're 13 years old and you're here. He says, Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. Imagine being 13 years old and hearing that. At 13, Mary learns she's giving birth to the Son of God. So go back to when you were 13. Typically, as a 13-year-old, like your biggest anxiety is the science test on Friday or whether or not I have a date to homecoming dance or, or that, that pimple on my forehead. Mary, though, at 13, learns that the salvation of millions of souls is lying in her womb. And Mary, upon receiving this news, does not say to the angel, according to Luke, well, let me go pray about it for a while, and then I'll get back with you. It's not what Mary does. She doesn't say, well, let me go seek counsel for my mom and dad and, and my boyfriend Joseph to make sure. Mary doesn't say, well, let me go Google what it's like to be pregnant at 13, and I'll get back on whether or not I'm gonna be able to do this or thing. No, immediately in the moment, upon receiving the word from the Lord sent through the angel, notice Mary, 13 years old. Notice her response in Luke 1, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. Mary, a young woman, but so mature for her age, says yes to God. But I don't think we give the appropriate weight to what Mary was saying yes to. Dan Darling writes in his little book, The Characters of Christmas, and I quote, he says, Mary was saying yes To bearing the shame of an unwed pregnancy at a time when this carried incredible social stigma. Would her friends and family believe her claims to have been visited by the Holy Spirit? Would Joseph stay with her or put her away? We know the end of the story, but Mary did not. Mary was saying yes to raising the son of God. It's hard enough to raise a fallen child, but imagine the burden of raising Jesus. Imagine her fear every time Jesus got a cold or every time Jesus left the home to play with his friends, every time he picked up a sharp knife in Joseph's carpentry shop. Mary was saying yes to a lifetime of roller coaster emotions. She'd see Jesus feed multitudes, raise people from the dead and walk on water, but she would also see him mocked. Jeered and taunted, even at times by his family and hometown friends, Mary would have to hold Jesus close, but Mary would have to let him go. So there's something incredibly courageous and godly about this young woman named Mary that we should not discount the significance she played in God's plan to save the world. Notice. Notice the uh, level of affection and honor with which the scripture speaks about Mary, Luke chapter 1 verse 28. The angel speaks to her and says, "Greetings, Mary, O favored one. The Lord is with you." And then in Luke 1:48, Mary is speaking and she says, "Behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed." And then in Luke 1, 42 and 43, Elizabeth, whom Mary was visiting, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And and Elizabeth says this. Imagine now you're in Elizabeth's shoes. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Think about that. 13 years old, the mother of... Of the Lord, the mother of the Lord. We've got bumper stickers that say, you know, proud mom of an honor roll student. Or if we're bragging, you know, his mom's or dad's, they have, well, my son's the quarterback of the football team. Well, well Mary's like, my boy's gonna save the world. <laughs> like, tell your little spelling bee champion son to beat that. You know what I mean? It's like, but, but even that, the, the burden. Think about that. The burden of carrying the Son of God, the, the burden of carrying deity in your womb. I think that is one of the reasons why Mary has been Mrs. Misunderstood for 2,000 years in human history. So I want us to see Christmas according to Mary, and there's two angles that I think we misunderstand her. And the first is, is this. Christmas, according to Mary, was not about Mary. Think about this. God, out of all of the women in the world at that time, chose one. He chose this young woman from an obscure town from a poor family whom nobody knew. And God chose Mary to be the one to give birth to the Savior of the world. So from a human perspective, Mary would have had every reason to post a selfie on instagram right and to draw all kinds of attention to herself hashtag giving birth to the son of god like that's a good way to draw a lot of attention to yourself but that's not what mary does from the very beginning of learning her role in god's plan and redemption mary begins immediately to deflect the glory and the honor and the attention to god alone Mary didn't make Christmas about her. Notice what she does in this famous song. She cries out to the Lord in Luke one forty six. right after she learns she's gonna have the son of God, 20 times in 10 verses, Mary says or refers to the name of God. She's getting attention off of her to heaven. Mary said, verse uh, 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In other words, Mary's like, I'm a nobody. God chose me. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He, that's God, has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see what Mary does, she could have and would have been very tempted to probably if we were in her shoes. Mary could have lived a very self-absorbed life. Look at me. God chose me, not you. But but Mary deflects the glory and the attention and the honor to God. And brothers and sisters, I think in this selfie generation that we live in, there's a lot we can learn from Mary, isn't there? We don't exist to draw attention to ourselves. We exist to deflect attention and recognition to God and to God alone. Christmas isn't primarily about us. Kids, Christmas isn't mainly about the presents you're getting. Life isn't mainly about us. We are not the center of the universe. Christ is. All glory and honor and attention goes to him. So anytime you have the opportunity Give glory to God. Paul says, whether you eat or drink or open up a Christmas present, give glory to God and to God alone. But not only that, this is one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story that is overlooked, I think. In Luke 1, Mary learns two things. A, she learns she's pregnant with God's son. Through the Holy Spirit, B, though, she learns her cousin, Elizabeth, is also pregnant, and she's just a little further along in the pregnancy. As soon as Mary learns she's pregnant and her cousin is uh, pregnant, notice her response. Verse 39 and 40 of Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, keep in mind, you learn in verse 42 that by this point, Mary's pregnant with Jesus. Verse 56, And Mary remained with Elizabeth, her cousin, about three months. And then she returned to her home. So Mary's 13 and pregnant, and she takes a hundred-mile trip through the hill country to go see her pregnant cousin. This is not 2019. Mary was not driving uh, an SUV with with, uh, heated seats She's not listening to Celine Dion Christmas CD drinking her little special drink from the Starbucks. That's not what's going on here. Either on a mule or maybe a camel or maybe on foot, 13 years old and pregnant with probably morning sickness and all that comes along with that, she hikes through big, steep hills, Luke says, to go spend time with her pregnant cousin. And let's do the math on this. Elizabeth, we learned, was six months pregnant when Mary arrives. And then in verse 56, we see Mary stayed with Elizabeth three months. So look, we're assuming that Elizabeth carried to full term for nine months, which means Mary went and stayed with Elizabeth until Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, which means Mary spent the first three months of her own pregnancy with the Son of God spent the first three months of her own pregnancy waiting hand and foot on her cousin who is in the last few months of her pregnancy. And we know that in those last several weeks of pregnancy, sometimes people can get a little demanding. I wouldn't know. I'm just saying I've been told that from men at, at other churches. Uh, never this church. So, so Ladies, here's the, put yourself in Mary's shoes. I think we forget. Yes, Mary is the mother of the Lord, but she was a human being. Just like every other woman, she was a human being. And she had real emotions and real feelings. And Mary's a first-time mom and probably has a million things to do to get ready for the baby. She had to get the baby room painted blue. She had to go to uh, baby showers at the temple. By the way, imagine if you get an invite. To Mary's baby shower. I mean, what the pressure? What are you going to buy? I mean, a pack and play from Target just doesn't quite seem appropriate for the son of God. like, What are you going to do there? But Mary had to have been so stressed. First time mom had all the weird cravings, sending out Joseph to get caramel covered corn dogs or whatever she wanted that night. Had to order baby Einstein videos off the Amazon. She had so many things to do, probably morning sickness. But Mary, here's the point I'm trying to show us. Mary, as an example, dropped everything dropped everything she was doing in the most important season in her life. And she made time for her pregnant cousin, and she served her for three months. Though Mary had every single reason to call Elizabeth and say, you get down here and serve me, rub my feet, bring me something to eat. Mary had every reason to have the whole world revolve around her, But in humility, she puts others before herself and she models the Lord who was her son in her womb and the life he would live. Because the whole incarnation at Christmas in Philippians 2 is that Jesus, though he was one with God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus left the glories of heaven and came low and served us and died in our place on the cross. So here's the application. I know we're all busy, but let's not get so busy and and kind of self or even personal family absorbed this Christmas that we forget about other people around us. This is what Jesus did at Christmas by definition. And this is what Mary did at Christmas. Let's remember this Christmas and we got three days that not everyone has it as good as we do. And so did you know that we don't have to buy people big fancy presents to bless them at Christmas? Did you know that for some people, for us just to take 15 minutes out of our day and to stop by and visit them would mean more to them than all the presents in the world? like visiting some of the shut-ins from our congregation, like going by the nursing home and visiting some of the residents or swinging in by the hospital and maybe praying with a few of the patients, some of whom, can you imagine spending Christmas in the hospital? What an opportunity we have to, to not just think about us, but to think about others, which is what Christmas is all about. Think about grandchildren. And I can say this with credibility because all of my grandparents have passed away. And I want to speak to grandchildren, whether you are seven or, or 37, and you still have the joy of having your grandparents. Um, I want to challenge you to go spend extra time with them this Christmas. And not just go and get your present and get a kiss on the cheek and leave when, when the dinner's been served, but to linger. Because you're going to lose your grandparents soon. And you would give anything to get them back when you do. Christmas is never the same when my mom and papa are gone. And I don't want to even take it a step further than that and say, and we're all in different stages of life, of course. For many of us, we're, you're in multiple places at Christmas with these parents and those parents and you know all these different people. I, I want to encourage you to linger a little longer at your mom or dad's house if you still have them as well. Because you never know when it will be their last Christmas. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but um, I remember my last Christmas with my dad. If I would have known that was the last, I would have done it very differently. Very differently. I remember we visited with mom and dad, and we did the family thing, and we were so exhausted, and I got to preach like the next day, so we rushed back to get back to Owensboro, and I'd give anything to go back and do it again. Mom and Dad really wanted us to stay that extra night. I I should have, but, but you can't redo it. So those of you that have the joy of still having, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or siblings, whoever those people are in your life, good friends, make the most of these special moments. In the midst of baking Peanut butter fudge and peanut butter balls. Let's not just keep them all for ourselves. Let's share them with me, but also with other people, Um, your neighbors. Look, in your neighborhood, I guarantee you there's at least one person or family that will spend Christmas alone. I'll guarantee it. They don't have anybody. What if you took some of the baked goods to them and knocked on their door and just stepped inside and said a prayer with them or invited them over? Man, what an opportunity we have. That's how you have a merry Christmas, if you will. But here's the second thing in conclusion. Christmas from Mary's perspective was a roller coaster filled with painful waiting. I think this is also an overlooked part of Mary's story. A little while after Mary gives birth to Jesus in Luke 2, in obedience to Old Testament law, she, Joseph, take baby Jesus uh, to the temple. They're gonna offer him to the Lord. They're gonna take sacrifices to the Lord. And they meet a man there named Simeon, who decades prior, God spoke to Simeon and said, Simeon, you won't die until I send my Messiah to save Israel. So Simeon had been waiting with expectation his whole life for the revival the of, uh, of the Christ And now it happens in Luke 2, 27, guided by the Holy Spirit, Simeon entered the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took baby Jesus, try to picture this if you can, okay? This old man takes baby Jesus in his arms, praised God and said, "'Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation.'" imagine you're simeon you'd waited your whole life for salvation to come to israel and now as an old man you hold up baby jesus and he cries out to god god my eyes have seen your salvation see salvation is not a theology salvation is not a philosophy it's not a religion it's not a system salvation is a person that you can hold in your hands. He is flesh. He is Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, we can see him. We can know him. Christ is salvation. And Simeon is holding salvation. He's holding God in his arms. And he cries out to God the Father. Verse 31, you have prepared it, that is salvation, in the presence of all peoples. This is a missionary text a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. So Simeon says, Jesus hasn't just come to save the Jews. He's come to save all people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, rich, poor, black, white, yellow, green, straight out of Sunday school or straight out of prison. Jesus came to save all people who would turn from their sins and believe in him. And then in verse 33, Imagine you Mary and Joseph hearing all of this. Jesus' father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary. Now, this is where the mood shifts. The greatest day of Mary's life becomes the most painful day of her life all in one moment. Simeon, this prophet, says to Mary, indeed, Mary, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. Now, moms can get very protective over their babies, rightly so. Somebody picks on them on the school bus or in the cafeteria, mama's going to make a little hike down to the principal's office. Mary is told from, from the very beginning of his life, her son will be opposed. And then he says in verse 35, Mary, a sword. Look at the imagery here. A sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary's got all of these emotions going on. On one hand, think of the joy if you're Mary, the mother of Jesus. You're on a spiritual high. You're blessed by Simeon but then the mood shifts and this young mother is told in verse 34 that your child is destined to cause the fall of many and he's gonna be a sign that will be opposed. This is a prophecy of the death of Jesus. Moms, can you imagine any worse news than giving birth to a child only to be told this child will die before you do? And Mary is told this in the very beginning. Jesus will be opposed. Mary is told some will worship your son, others will want him dead. Every mother's worst fear is that she will outlive her children. And I saw that in real life. I saw my grandmother bury both of her sons in a six-month period. Grandma was, was 85 and buried both of her sons in their 60s. And I've never seen more pain in my life in a person's eyes than I, when I saw my grandmother stand up out of her wheelchair and kiss her baby boys one last time in the casket something no mother should ever have to do. Remember, Mary is a human being just like us with real emotions. She loved the Lord, but she loved her son. She loved her son like any of us mamas or daddies would love our son. She wanted God's will to be done, but no mama wants to see her baby boy die. Mary was no different. And so she's told at the very beginning, and for 33 years now, Mary has to wait for her son to die. Can you imagine wondering if today is the day, if this is the year? Because God didn't give her that detail that he would be 16 or 18 or 30 or 33. Mary didn't know when, how. Imagine the pain, imagine the sense of helplessness on one hand, you want to submit to the will of God, and you are for your son's life, but at the other time, he's your son. So even though Mary had the incredible burden of knowing the tragedy was coming in her life and her son's life, still she sings to God. You could be in real pain and still sing. Notice what she does in verse 46 and 47. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now, here's, here's what I felt led to say this week. For some of us, and I'm one of these people, our personalities and just kind of the way God's wired us, we tend to worry a lot about, um, we, we tend to have an unhealthy anticipation of future tragedies in our life. I don't know if I said that real clear, but some of us kind of always live with the idea that something bad's gonna probably happen soon. I mean, I often think and worry about the prospect of something happening to one of my kids. Or, um, I'll, I'll, like every time one of my three sisters calls or texts me, my initial gut is that something's happened to my mom. Or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll dread, um, you know, certain doctor's visits thinking, when when he does the blood work, blood work that's my annual, that, you know, something's going to come up that's, that's crazy. And um, here, here's the thing about living anticipating tragedy or crisis. Bad things are going to happen to all of us. The future holds uncertainties, and suffering is definitely a part of it but here's what we can learn from Mary. I can't think of a better example than her outside of Jesus himself, right? Um, We can't allow the fear of the future to keep us from enjoying the gift of the present. Some of us need to grow in this. I do. Bad things will happen to us, but there's a lot of good to be thankful for now. So let's give God glory for the blessings of today. Mary had 33 years of waiting for a tragedy that she knew was going to happen, but she still chose to worship God anyway because though bad things will happen to all of us, for those who love God, all of those bad things still work together for our good. That is why Jesus comes along in Matthew 6 and says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because while we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who sovereignly holds tomorrow and he is faithful and he is true don't let the fear of the future steal the joy that God has for you today somebody needed that tonight Simeon understands what Mary is feeling all of the emotions of a mom and so he says to her in verse 35 I'm paraphrasing Mary a sword is going to pierce through your soul when your son dies fast forward 33 years Simeon's prophecy comes true. John 19, Jesus is being crucified on the cross. And in verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus, notice who John lists first. The first person nearest the cross. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. The first to bring him into the world and the last to say goodbye on his way out. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And notice this moment Jesus and Mary have. It's often overlooked. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple that he loved, that's John. So John's writing was the first account eyewitness. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, Jesus said to his mom, woman, here is your son. They have a moment that only a son and a mom can have. Mary, who 33 years earlier held this baby boy in swaddling clothes and rocked him to sleep, is now watching him hang from a tree. And and again, Mary's got that motherly instinct in her. but, But she can't save him this time. She can't wipe the blood from his knees this time. She can't hold him and soothe him to sleep this time. And Mary, for the first time, felt that sword that pierced the soul that Simeon told her was coming. And and so Mary stands in the middle of the most tragic and yet the most glorious moment in human history. Mary knows that while her son is suffering and dying, she knows that her son and his story would not end in tragedy. The story of Jesus contained a disaster, but it wouldn't end in disaster because three days later, this Jesus would come back from the dead. The story of Christ does not end on a bloody cross. The story of Christ culminates in an empty tomb. So yes, Jesus was born to die at Christmas, but he wouldn't stay dead for long. The hope of Christmas wasn't just a cross, it's an empty tomb. And the hope of Christmas tonight and the hope of salvation is for anyone in this room that if you will turn from your sins and believe in Jesus, you will be saved and you will be forgiven, no matter what you have done, no matter how many crimes you've committed, no matter how many times you've been incarcerated, no matter how many affairs you've had, no matter what you've done, the blood of Christ is greater than all of our sin, but you must repent and you must believe. You don't go to heaven just because you show up to a Christmas service. You only see heaven because you turn from sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you follow him. Many of you tonight are religious, but you're not saved. And tonight, the Lord Jesus is inviting you to denounce your own life, and to surrender to his. Let's bow. Jesus, I pray that through the power of your gospel, you would awaken any heart, God, that has been dead towards you or sleepy towards you or complacent towards you. Spirit of God, we invite you on this three days before Christmas to come mightily and move among us. God, some of us came tonight just because it's the thing to do right before Christmas. And Lord, you wanted to encounter us, not just by holding a a, a candle or by singing a song or by hearing a sermon, but God, you want to come and shake up our lives and grip us and change us. So God, have your will and way. And if there's anyone here, God, whether they be young or old, whether they be rich or poor, whether they be religious or not religious, God, would you show us the beauty of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior of the world. And now, Jesus, as we sing these final few songs, may they be a sweet, sweet sound to your glorious ears. We sing because you are great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.